welcome to the Palmwood Podcast, part of the teaching ministry of Palmwood Church in Oviedo, Florida, where we love God extravagantly, love people with humility, and mentor others to do the same. Here's Pastor John with an introduction for this week's message. Thanks, David. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Palmwood Podcast. Today's message is part of our continuing series, Know What You Believe, based upon the framework of the Apostles' Creed. And while all of the statements in the Creed are important to historic biblical Christianity, this one may be even more important, especially for those who are still trying to figure this whole Christianity thing out. Building on last week's message about Jesus ruling and reigning from the Father's right hand, today we look at the statement, from there, that is God's right hand, Jesus will return to judge both the living and the dead. Today's truth should bring comfort to all those who are already followers of Jesus Christ, but it may be unsettling to those who have not yet made that decision. That discomfort, should you feel it, is actually the work of God's Holy Spirit wooing you to Himself. If you feel that discomfort, dare I say it, conviction, I urge you not to just let it go. Listen to today's podcast, but then take the next step and talk to someone about what you've just heard. You may know another Christian, a pastor, or a church leader near you, but if not, please get in touch with us here at Palmwood Church. Any of us would be very happy to help you work through what you're experiencing. You can find our contact information on our website at palmwoodchurch.com or by our Facebook or Instagram pages. But please, don't ignore it. It's important. May God speak to you deeply through today's message. Well, our scripture reading this morning is actually two different passages Um, They're side by side, basically, in the book of Revelation. But we're going to be talking today about Jesus' return and his judgment. And so we're going to look at a portion of Scripture in Revelation chapter 20, and we're going to look at a portion of Scripture in Revelation chapter... uh, uh, Actually, chapter 19 and Revelation chapter 20. Um, Starting with Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, the story of the return of our glorious King. John, who is seeing into heaven, says, I I saw in heaven standing open, and there I saw, saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations." He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. 
and on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then moving to chapter 20, also starting with verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. A sobering warning for us all. We're continuing in our series, Know What You Believe, which is based upon the framework of the Apostles' Creed. And once again, I'll just say, as I've said along through this whole series for several weeks, my heart in this as a pastor is that we as Christians um, know what it is that we believe. Um, so often, Christians will espouse something, and, and it'll be a conviction to them, but they really don't understand the background behind it. They don't understand the, the theological underpinnings, the biblical um, truth and, and basis that is there. And I really, on, on these basic tenets of the faith, as we've walked through this classic historic creed, um, I really want us to have a good foundation on these basics so that we can uh, not only live them, but we can also share them when people ask us what we believe. Today we come to the phrase in the um, Apostles' Creed, from there, it's based upon what we studied last week, that Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of God. He is he's ruling and reigning in the most powerful position. And uh, from there, from that position in heaven, he will come to judge both the living and the dead. So today we're going to look at the fact that he's going to come, and we're also going to look at the fact that he's going to judge there's this fancy word that scares a lot of people. It's called eschatology. It's a theological word meaning the study of last things, the studying, study of the, the end times. And uh, when it comes to eschatology, there are all kinds of views and opinions. And, and the reason for that is that much of what we know about the end times comes from prophetic writings, the prophets of the Old Testament, and books like Revelation that are written in what is called apocalyptic literature. The bottom line is, I'm not going to get into a long explanation of this for the sermon, but the bottom line is it's hard to understand. There's, there's a lot of possible ways you can look at things when it comes to Revelation and some of the, the things that are said in the prophets. And so depending on what camp you're in, you see things from a different vantage point. There's a group, for example, uh, that believe in what is called premillennialism, which means that the, the millennium or the thousand-year reign of Christ that's talked about in, in Revelation is initiated by the return of Jesus. So Jesus comes, and then he rules and reigns in peace for a thousand years. There's another group called the amillennialists, amillennialism, 
or amillennialism that believes that as so much in apocalyptic literature, the thousand years is not a literal 1,000 years, but is a, a definition of a very long time. And so it's not that it's a, a literal thousand years, but it is a time where in what they might call the church age, we, we have relative peace and we see the advance of the gospel. And they would, many of them would say that we're in that right now and that Jesus' return is something separate from, from all of that. And then there are those that are post-millennialists, post-millennialism, which is the belief that the whole world will be evangelized. It doesn't mean that every single soul is going to accept Jesus as Savior, but that based upon some scriptures in the Gospels, um, the whole world is evangelized, that there are literally believers now that have come from every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every people. They're all represented now around the throne. And once that happens, then Jesus returns. And so Jesus' return comes at the end of the millennium, the end of that, that thousand-year reign where the, the gospel advances um, post-millennialism rather than at the beginning, pre-millennialism. And then if that wasn't all confusing enough, there's various views on the tribulation, which I'm not going to get into all of those, but one of them is called dispensationalism that believes that God's redemptive work has happened in various eras or what they call dispensations of human history along the way. And so you can see how convoluted all this can get when you have many different views sitting around the table in a room. It can also get very interesting in a dialogue. But here's my point in all this. Even with all the different views, all the different perspectives, trying to figure out what the scripture actually says. These are people who are being faithful to the, to the word of God, by the way. Um, there, there are two things that all of us, all of us agree on. The first is Jesus is going to return. <laughs> no doubt about it. Doesn't matter what camp you're in, we all believe that. And the second is, when he returns, he is going to judge humanity. Regardless of where you come from, that is the truth. And for the believer in Jesus Christ, that return and judgment time is actually glorious. And I hope to help you understand that today. Let's pray. Father, this is a, a challenging message in that there's so many different tributaries, so many different pathways we could go based upon different perspectives on these very same passages. But Jesus, I would pray, as I have all week long, that you would help me, by your Holy Spirit, to stay on task on those central truths, those two central truths that unite all of us about the return and about the judgment. And that you would enable me, Jesus, to be your vessel, your conduit, to clearly explain them so that all of us who are in Christ, even if we have different views about the sequence of events, that we all can rejoice together in the glory that we expect to come. Be our teacher, be our guide, Holy Spirit, we pray. Lead us into all truth, as Jesus promised. We ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. Let's talk about Jesus' return. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. 
I'm going to try and make this as um, as clear and um, the only word that comes to mind is incremental as I can so we can really lay this out today. First thing we need to know about Jesus' return is that it is going to be sudden or unexpected. Sudden or unexpected. And if you've got the notes in front of you, you can see I'm giving in each one of these points several different scripture verses that you can see to undergird the points that we're making here. But while Jesus, during his earthly ministry, does give his disciples, does give his followers, and thereby gives us down through the ages, some uh, things, that, some hints that we can look for to tell us that we're getting close to the return of Jesus, the, the, the time of his coming. Um, they're only hints. That's all they are. And in fact, in another place, Jesus actually says that only his Father in heaven knows the day and hour at which that is going to actually take place. And so anytime you have somebody that says, I've got this figured out, you right off the bat know that they, they really don't know what they're talking about. I remember when, when I was in seminary, uh, there was a, a book that came out, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. Those of you that are old enough probably will remember that book and that Jesus didn't come back in 1988. And so then it was revised. I think there was a new edition that came out, 89 Reasons Why He's Coming Back in 1989. And, of course, we were all saying you, you can't know that. We can, we can pay attention to the signs of the times. But here's the point. Jesus teaches us as his followers to always be ready. He tells the parable of the virgins, if you remember, about them being ready for when the bridegroom calls. Some of them were in his story, and some of them were not. And it's the same thing for us. We are told that that we are to be in a prepared state, that his return is going to be sudden. It's, it's going to be immediate. It's going to come like a thief breaks into a house in the night, unexpected. It's going to be like a flash of lightning. In one case, uh, I think it's the Apostle Paul says, in the twinkling of an eye, meaning in the blink of an eye, you've watched, you've all seen an eye blink on its own that fast. That's how quickly when it happens, Jesus is going to come back. And as his people, we need to be ready for that. And we need to prepare others for that as well. The second thing is Jesus' return is going to be personal. And this is, this is really important. We're not talking about some kind of a mystical or ethereal event. We are talking about Jesus coming back personally. He himself, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, is coming back to claim his people. And the whole world, the whole world is going to know him when this happens. They're going to know that it's him. Now, they may not have trusted him, but regardless, when that twinkling of an eye, when that blink, when that, that lightning flash, when that thief in the night moment happens, there is not going to be a soul on the face of the earth that is not going to understand that's Jesus when that happens. Even those who have disbelieved or rejected him, they are going to know. Remember, the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church at Philippi, says that there is coming a time when Every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. There's no other place. 
Every single knee is going to bow. And he says, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's going to happen. It doesn't matter if you don't believe it. It doesn't matter if you reject it. It doesn't matter if you walk away from it. It's going to happen. And there's coming a time that even those who reject Jesus outright will turn and will bow their knee before him and they will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father but for them it may be too late. There really does need to be a sense of urgency on our part to share this news with them. They're going to know. Thirdly, Jesus' return is going to be visible. Visible. Uh, people are going to see it. Remember the angel's message. We talked about this in last week's sermon. As, as Jesus' disciples and, and the, the wider crowd are standing there, they've, they've heard him give his great commission, and now the cloud of God's glory is wrapped around his feet, and he's being lifted up to glory, to the right hand of the Father. And the Scripture told us, we read it last week, that, that everybody's watching him. They're, it's visible. They're watching him as he's going up to glory and as they're standing there looking into the sky, then all of a sudden, here's these angels standing there, and they go, uh, men of Galilee, why are you staring into the sky? This Jesus that you've seen go is going to come back in the very same way that you have seen him come. And he is. He's going to return visibly. They're going to see it. In fact, the whole world is going to see it. He went up, he ascended in front of everyone, and he's going to come back in front of everyone. Fourth, Jesus' return will be bodily. It will be him in his body. It's not some ghostly figure. It's really the glorified Jesus in his glorified body. The Apostle John tells us that we will see him as he is. How wonderful is that? Paul writes to the Philippians, that even our own lowly bodies will be transformed to be like his heavenly body. Now, I don't know about you. The last several weeks, I have had an incredible pain in my back that I cannot get past. Guess what? It may last a long time here on earth, but it's still temporary because when my body is transformed into a body like his glorified body, no more aches and pains. Somebody say amen. Amen. His return is going to be like his ascension. It's going to be bodily. Fifth, Jesus' return, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be incredibly glorious. He's going to be coming back on the clouds of God's Shekinah glory. We talked about him going on the clouds of God's Shekinah glory last week. Today we're talking about him coming back on the clouds of God's Shekinah glory. He is accompanied by the whole angelic host of God. All those angels that have remained faithful to God from eternity past, from the time that they were made and created, that didn't, that did not follow Lucifer, Satan, in his rebellion. Those that have stayed holy and around the throne of God, all of them coming back in mass in the clouds of God's glory. The angel armies. It will be a joyous wonder to behold for all of us who belong to him. But here's the reality check. It is going to be a terrible wonder to all of those who have rejected him. In fact, Jesus, as he's talking about this in the Gospel of Matthew, says, 
that the nations are actually going to mourn when he returns. And the reason for that is, is they're made up of people who have rejected him. And at that point, it will be too late. Jesus' return is sudden, it's personal, it's visible, it's bodily, and it is glorious. So that's how Jesus' return unfolds. Now let's spend the remainder of our time talking about what happens when he gets here. Jesus' judgment. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Perhaps the most important point to make as we begin this part of the message is that Jesus is the judge. My family and friends have heard me say things in the past like it's a good thing that Jesus is judging so-and-so and not me because my judgment on people would not be near as gracious. It would also be not near as good or righteous as Jesus. You see, Jesus is the judge and it's a good thing. The world has tended to portray Jesus as a great teacher, a wonderful man, a true prophet, a gentle Messiah, a loving shepherd. I mean, all those motifs are there, and they're all true. All those things are true, but that's only part of the story, friends, because it leaves out the fact of Jesus' utter holiness. It leaves out the fact of Jesus' utter justice. It leaves out the fact of his absolute righteousness. Jesus is coming back as the whole package, not just the warm fuzzy stuff. Jesus is the judge. And it's good that he is the judge because Jesus is unflappable. Jesus is incorruptible. I mean, how many of us fear a day when we can't trust our judicial system in the United States because judges, some judges may become corrupt? It's a possibility because we're human, but not with Jesus. Not with Jesus. He is incorruptible. He is the essence of all that is good. He is the source of all goodness. And he already knows every single fact of every single person's case. Let that one sink in for a moment. There is nothing he does not know about you. There is nothing he does not know about me. And I'm wowed every day that even though he knows everything about me, he still loves me and went to the cross for me to redeem me from myself. He cannot be deceived because he knows everything. He cannot be swayed because he's incorruptible. Either a person's sins have already been paid for by Jesus' own blood or they have not. It's, it's one or the other. And Jesus himself is going to be the judge of that. 
Jesus' judgment is real. <clears throat> oh my goodness. Have you been on Facebook lately? Instagram? Watch TV? People in this world are living like there's not going to be any kind of reckoning ever. How insanely foolish have we become? The judgment, friends, is not a myth. It's not a bedtime story. It's not one of Grimm's tales. And all but the most seared of hearts knows that's true, even though we try to forget about it and deny it from day to day. We can discern good from evil. We can do it. Even children have an innate sense of justice. Have you ever heard a little kid say, that's not fair? You know why they say that? Usually because what they're dealing with is not fair. They have an innate sense of right and wrong, an innate sense of what is fair and what is not. Jesus' judgment is real. And he tells us in Matthew's gospel that his judgment includes everything about us right down to every careless word we have ever said. Let that sink in for a moment. Jesus is not going to just judge what you do. He's going to judge what you say. He's going to judge what you think. He's going to judge everything. Before a word crosses our lips, he already knows what it is. Jesus' judgment is righteous. While those on the receiving end of his judgment are going to weep and mourn, all creation will know that Jesus' judgment is right, that it is correct, that it is good. There'll be no denying it. There is a heavenly record for every single human being that has ever lived. The, the image that John saw in the book of Revelation is the same image that was seen by Daniel in his prophecy back in the Old Testament a thousand years before that. Both of them see God opening books, and they are a record book of our lives. Jesus' judgment is not arbitrary. He doesn't just fickly say, well, I'm going to judge Stephen and I'm not going to judge Catherine. No, no, no. It's based on a real record of everything you've said, everything you've done, everything you've thought. You see, there is a sense in which Jesus does not condemn us. In reality, we condemn ourselves. It's our record, not his. I want to read to you, you know, John 3.16 is a beloved passage of Scripture. It is recited out of context even sometimes. Um, I want to read verses 16 and those that follow it so that everything is taken in context about what I have just said about us condemning ourselves. People love to hear the good news about Jesus saving us, but there's also a reality check that's attached to that passage. John, starting with verse 316, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God, listen now, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. That wasn't the reason God sent his Son the first time. But to save the world through him. That was God's purpose. Verse 18, listen. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Already condemned. Because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world and men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that what he has done has been done through God. We stand condemned already. The only hope we have is having our record washed by the blood of Jesus. And we're going to talk about that. You see, Jesus' judgment is just. It's real justice. It is the essence of what is ultimately morally right and fair. Jesus' judgment is based upon God's love. God's love and justice were demonstrated most beautifully at the cross of Calvary. See? Because God did not want us to be condemned. God loves humanity. Humanity is made in his image. God made a way where there was no way for sinful humanity to be redeemed by pouring out the punishment for our sins upon Jesus at the cross of Calvary. And for all who have received that sacrifice and made it their own and have surrendered to Jesus as their King and their Lord, their Master, their Savior, the one who has gone and taken, if you will, the bullet for them, for them, their record is expunged. Because God's wrath has already been poured out at Calvary. God's love and justice were demonstrated in the resurrection that after Jesus died and was buried, death could not hold him in the grave. Please understand, those who know the Old Testament know the penalty for sin is death. <laughs> and God allowed Jesus to overcome sin and death to set us free. There can no longer be any doubt that this judgment will be just, for we know that God shows no favoritism at all. God's judgment is thorough. 1 Corinthians 4, verse uh, 3 through 5, there is nothing, nothing that will remain hidden when it comes to the judgment. Nothing. Jesus' judgment covers everything. Jesus' judgment also includes the fallen angels. Those angels, we believe approximately one-third, believing, taking that out of a, a portion of Scripture from Revelation, about a third of the heavenly host, of the angelic host, 
decided to follow Lucifer, who became Satan, in his heavenly rebellion against God. They came down and they've, they've been his henchmen wreaking havoc all, ever since the beginning on humanity who's made in God's image, on God's creation, co- uh, corrupting it and, and, and tempting and, and doing all of those things. Jesus' judgment includes all of those principalities and powers and angels in the demonic realm that followed Satan. There is absolutely no redemption for angels because they were not deceived. You see, you and I made in God's image were deceived. At least our first mother and father were, Adam and Eve. But the angels knew exactly what they were doing when they rebelled against God. And there is no forgiveness for that. In fact, when they finally get their punishment, we're told that those of us who are with Jesus, we will help him judge those angels. Which brings us to another absolutely critical point. And I would say, you know, we've covered a lot But if you have only one thing you take to the bank today from this message, this is the one. This is the point. Jesus' judgment includes both believers and non-believers. This is both glorious news and horrible news at the same time. It depends on who you are. I had a friend this last week that uh, contacted me uh, concerned that believers are going to have to stand before Christ in judgment. And I'll tell you, if you look at all those scripture verses that I've got listed there in the notes, you're going to find when you get to Second Corinthians, that's exactly what Paul says, is that we as believers, we have to stand before Jesus uh, when the time comes. The heavenly record books are, are going to be opened, and everyone is going to have to face their own record. Everyone. Everyone is going to have to do that. You, me, everybody is going to have to face that record. But, see, there's this glorious but. (laughs) For those who are in Christ, for those who have accepted his sacrifice at Calvary, for those who have allowed the punishment on him to become our punishment, for those of us who have surrendered to him and say we are going to live for him, and in fact we're going to tell others about him, for those of us that are in Christ they have a giant, proverbial, paid-in-full stamp right in the middle of their page because God's wrath has already been poured out on their record. It was poured out on Jesus. Their sins are already dealt with. They've already experienced the atonement. We preached about that a few weeks back. By putting faith in Christ and accepting his sacrifice on our behalf, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Remember, there's several different kinds of books. It says that that when John looked, there were books that were open. God opened several books, and there was another book. So the, the first books that are open are the record books that talk about what we've done in life. But that other book is the one Jesus is keeping. It's the one that says... On September 11th, 1986, at approximately 8.15 p.m., Jesus wrote my name in that book. Because after 20-some-odd years of religious behavior, 
I surrendered to Him as Christ, as Messiah. And I can tell you, friends, my name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, I've got a record. (laughs) I'll bet you I could put my record up against a lot of your records, and it's not necessarily good. But my record has a paid-in-full stamp on it because God already poured out His wrath about my record on the cross of Calvary. You follow? For those whose lambs, for those whose names are in the Lamb's Book of Life, their judgment has already taken place. It's already been levied on Jesus. God's wrath for them has already been satisfied. That's glorious news. Amen? But for those who have not received Christ, for those who have not believed on his name, for for those who have rejected God's offer that leads to full and complete exoneration, forgiveness, none of the things that we have just talked about are true for them. And by the time the books are open, friends, it's too late to change. It's too late. Please understand me. I'm not being melodramatic. It's too late. God's judgment has two destinations. Let me read once again from Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence. That's how incredibly holy he is. And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Here's the the books of our lives. The record books. Books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name is not found written in that book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire. Very sobering. Very sobering. There are two eternal destinations. Two. Everybody doesn't get to go to heaven. Don't, any, don't let anybody lie to you about that. Heaven is open to every human being, but not everybody's going to choose to go there. For those who are in Christ, there is a resurrection to eternal life and glory with Jesus for all eternity. But for those who are not in Christ, for those whose names are not written in his book, whose names are not found written there by the Lamb, there is another resurrection. There's two resurrections, one to eternal life and glory. The other resurrection is to eternal contempt, eternal condemnation, eternal suffering, eternal anguish, what we call damnation. This is no fairy tale. 
This is very real. And again, unless your heart is so incredibly seared shut, deep down, you know what I'm saying is true. You already know it. Because you know right from wrong. Follow the path. It leads back to this truth. Faith in Christ is nothing to play around with. It's not a game. It's not some religious experience. It's not what it's about. It is the offer of e- from an eternal God for real salvation. And people ridicule and reject it to their own personal peril. Finally, Jesus' judgment is final. There is no second chance once we get to the judgment. The second chance, friends, is during this life right now. Today is the day of salvation is what the scripture says. The second chance is right now. This is the time that God has given us to turn to him, be washed by the blood of Jesus, be forgiven of our record book and have that paid in full stamp and begin to live for him. Now is the time. This is the time. It's in this life. We either accept God's offer or we don't. It's one or the other. It is that simple. And let me tell you in no uncertain terms, when the judgment comes, it's all over. It's too late. All these things are wrapped up in Jesus' return and judgment. I believe in Jesus Christ, currently sitting at the right hand of the Father, but from there he will come. He'll come, he'll return, and he will judge the living and the dead. Oh, can you agree with me that these doctrinal points are absolutely essential to our faith? Friend, where do you stand when it comes to Jesus' return and judgment? I know Christians, in fact, I talked to some this week, I know Christians that are afraid of the return because they don't understand. If you're a believer in Jesus, you don't need to be afraid of Jesus' return. We can rejoice. The garbage of this life will finally be over. He's here in all of his glory and we will be with him. But for those who have not turned their lives over to Christ, it's a different story. And if you're not sure... It's possible there's reason for concern. This is something we need to know for certain. Let's settle it today. For those that are here in the room and those that are watching over the webcast and and those that will watch the video later, we can talk about this as we gather together in our huddles in just a moment. Uh, You can talk about what you're feeling, if you're stressed out about it or afraid or you need more information. Uh, There may be people there in your huddle that can help clarify things for you. I'm telling you, there's a lot of people here in the Palmwood Church family that would love to have a conversation with you. Any of the leaders in particular are ready. We are ready right now to talk with you about any concerns that you have on this point. You don't need to go to sleep not having it settled today. Don't make the mistake of waiting. We need to live as a prepared people every moment of every day. Thanks for joining us for the Palmwood Podcast. If you'd like more information about Palmwood Church and its ministry, see our website 
at palmwoodchurch.com. Have a blessed day.